1: Day on off Talkle Empire. Down goes Iowa. There were many games that occurred this week, but Iowa was certainly one of them. Tune in for many important details, statistics, analysis, and other information this week on another exciting and very Iowa-centered episode of off Talkle Empire featuring America's favorite Iowa Hawkeyes Go Corn Your source for Big Ten Corn, it's Off-Tackle Empire Welcome back to Off-Tackle Empire The official podcast the official blog of ESPN's Big Ten coverage. Uh, it's about the driest I can possibly introduce it. We're getting to a, well, not entirely dry part of the year, but it's starting to feel a little cooler uh, finally. Now, it was the season for it a few weeks ago, but it's actually finally starting to turn to fall weather. Uh, nevertheless, um, I'm Steve Braun, a.k.a. I'm here as well as the and Krzyzewski. Talk about Big Ten football.
0: Yeah, it was uh, a long summer in which the dry season, but like the dry part never happened. and so I had to just I've had to cut the grass every three days for like six months now. That's weird because have you seen our front lawn? Now, we live in the same
1: city, and all of the rain missed our front lawn.
0: Apparently so, but I have to admit, I kind of missed having the lawn turned to straw and such that I didn't have to deal with it. You know, it's cool. I don't really like lawns. I think lawns are dumb. I'm not
1: an English lord. They're, uh, they're, they're kind of a, a shitty ecological thing. And I yeah. kind of... There's actually a house around here that uh, that has something that I've, I've, I've uh, maybe been able to sort of get Leah on board with, with doing. Something that's not really a lawn, but isn't really disorganized and intrusive and overly tall. But in any case, plant more butterfly bushes. Plant more milkweed.
0: Yeah, I think I'm on the same page with you there. There are a few Longs other are dumb. there are a few other houses in my neighborhood that do like the full front yard garden thing instead. Yeah, that feels like a lot of work. But there
1: is somebody that does it here around here that uh, seems to have done it in a way that seems manageable and not aesthetically disorganized. Of course,
0: I do still need my little patch of grass in the back for my dogs to poop in. Sure. And that's all well and good, but yeah, in terms of like a lawn that I have to not only cut but edge, it's a lot. And I'm I'm not putting like roundup or any of that stuff in my water table, so don't even suggest How it. How
1: long would you say that you spend edging a week? Okay, because I spent about three three and a half hours edging I was on say, Saturday.
0: You know, I was gonna say altogether. I certainly, no less than a couple hours on a weekly basis, especially you know summer gets nice. It's you know steamy and steamy as it is. You know, so. I
1: thought that I was done edging when uh, Purdue appeared to have scored a touchdown on a on a dive for the pylon. I thought I was going to be done edging then, but it turns out I had about another half hour of edging. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Got to introduce the Wind Flight tri Brewster of the week. It is by Cadillac Straits Brewing. It is Valhalla Girls, Nordic Blondale. You see, the girls in Valhalla are very picky. Uh, they generally don't like you to have losses on your resume. There are some teams that are headed there right now. 7-0 Michigan State. All the guys on bye, except for Penn State. But I'm talking mostly about Ohio State, Michigan. Valhalla could contain any multitudes of these, but somebody fell from the ranks of Valhalla bound this week. And it turns out now the Valhalla girls won't return their phone calls. They gave him a fake number. And they didn't... Do the you know the life hack of then you know texting to make sure or giving him back, giving him back the uh, the number with a digit
0: wrong. Yeah, it's uh it, it, again we're gonna see how we manage to get to a full hour worth of content with just five games on the slate this week. As you mentioned, number of teams on the buys, a number of the more interesting teams in the conference on buys because. We're not gonna. We weren't gonna get resolution on Penn State's quarterback situation. Ohio State's death machine had to sit in idle for a week. Michigan's been building momentum, and they had to take a little bit of a pause. Always an interesting balance between. Well, you know, you want your team to be able to rest up at some point, but are you concerned <clears throat> that taking a week <clears throat> off is gonna is gonna disrupt your momentum? So, not that they have control over that. That's just something that they ask coaches because they feel like they have to. Haha. Uh-huh. Yes. This
1: beer is. Is very rich and golden and uh, quite rather boisterous, if you will. But also, also, uh, you know, not so much thick as it is uh, firm, solid, strong, good breeding stock, if you will. Uh, more Nordic than Teutonic, so
0: sorry, Iowa. <laughs> so, you, you it may come through on the audio quality as well, but... You've got a little bit of a tickle there in your throat. Give yourself a good, nice clear, and then... Oh, man. Do I have anything that you could spit in to get that out of here? Oh, wait! I do! Michigan State 20, Indiana 15. Old Spitty is home. Order is restored. And this was a very unappealing game to watch um, start to finish. The offense certainly picked up a little bit in the second half in both directions, but this is this, this is why I'm still a little bit hesitant to do anything more than just kind of savor the flavor while it lasts I'm not even at this point like the game against Michigan is different because I after last year I will never think we don't have a chance to win that game again but I'm not willing to think beyond that yet with Michigan State despite going a 7 and0 because this offensive line is still really bad that's what that's the simplest way to explain it is that? This offensive line is still full of guys who have played a ton of football but have, have been parts of offenses that just have not produced. This year that they've changed that narrative a little bit and painted themselves as this big play offense is true, but a lot of that stuff is due to blown run fits and is due, frankly, to creative play calling and good play by the receivers. So then do you think that a lot of the success of Kenneth, Kenneth Walker
1: has kind of to do with with more him than this one
0: probably 80-20% if I'm being generous if you like if you were to go back and cut up his longest plays on the season i would bet that just about all of them that go for more than 5 to 7 yards are going to involve him basically stopping momentum cutting back dramatically bouncing a play outside that wasn't supposed to go there and just because he's got a, a little burst that most linebackers don't, that he's able to get separation and break long ones off. That That's so really bad. obviously, been, as an offensive line, you have to give him something, but you're saying that a lot of it comes down to his vision. Yeah, well, the offensive line refers to him as the eraser because he erases their mistakes. Um, and so the thing is then, when you go up against a defense that is both fundamentally sound and has a week to prepare, what Indiana did was told their defensive ends to split wide, make sure they can take, they treated Kenneth Walker like you would treat a really dangerous dual threat quarterback, like keep him in the pocket, don't let him bounce outside, and then trust that their excellent linebackers McFadden and Cam Jones would be able to finish most of the plays, and they did. They That's the other thing you have to say is Indiana's linebackers, like Nebraska's, were good enough to bring Walker down in those one-on-one situations. Again, did not help that Michigan State's offensive linemen were not giving him clean lanes to run through, not picking off the linebackers. And if you want really the most compelling statistical piece of data for this is the percentage of his yards that are after first contact. Like 70 80% of his yards are after contact. And that's an impressive thing on his part, but it also kind of suggests that he's not really getting a whole lot of good opportunities from this line. So that's not really news. I, you know, earlier in the season, like the Miami game, it kind of looked like they had really turned a corner. But this game, the Nebraska game, reminds that this is still a group with a very defined ceiling. And even though they're still rotate, they're basically doing like hockey style lines. like they're playing the whole second offensive line. So they got nine guys playing. And the fact that there's not a whole lot of difference between the two is for one thing, telling about the starters. It's also a little discouraging that even playing that many guys, they're not playing any of the young guys. Like, the last couple of D'Antonio classes are not represented in the playing group. Has Michigan State beaten anybody that's going to a bowl game? I still think Indiana's going, even though they're probably going to fall to 2-5 and next week because I think eventually their offense showed some signs of life. I think they've realized they need to do more with Stephen Carr than bash him into the line. They got him outside, they threw it to him a little bit. I th- it, their best approach to me, honestly, would be to let Penix take his sweet time getting back. Because I think Tuttle has the ability to win them a few games. And after Ohio State, the schedule lightens up dramatically. They would obviously have to win four of their last five games, but I think they could do it. And then looking elsewhere, I, until this... I mean, I still think Nebraska is a much better team than their record shows, but at some point yeah. there's there's not enough data points... For me to look at, and be like, oh, well, they're still going to figure it out and, and get to what? Six wins? Are they going to, like, do they get off the mat at this point from three and five and get to a bowl game with their remaining schedule? It doesn't really feel like it. They really couldn't afford to drop this one, the one that they did this week. Yeah. And, it, you know, I, Miami has likewise continued to languish. Northwestern is back to three and three. I guess you can say that it will. We'll see next week. If they give Michigan a real game, then um, yeah, you could talk me into Northwestern getting back to it. I I think the West is wide open, and it it feels really like, with a couple exceptions, uh, pretty much any team could beat any other team. What you're saying is that anybody could win
1: the Big Ten West except Illinois.
0: I'm not even talking about the division. I'm talking about winning enough games to get to a bowl. Any team in the Big Ten West can win a couple games except Illinois. Yeah. And I like as I was stumbling to that thought I was like, "Oh, you shouldn't say that's going to make him feel bad, but it well, was already." No, I mean, I, was, I mean, look, we've got to beat Penn State or Iowa.
1: Well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, show me the quarterback that does that. I will show you a quarterback that does not currently
0: play for Illinois, oh dear. Yeah. Um so anyway, to to keep this up. So Indiana also had a little bit of the same blueprint nebraska did here in that really the best way to deal with michigan state's offense is play the same way that they do on defense which is to keep all the big stuff in front of you and make them execute a drive make them show you that they can go six eight ten plays without a false start or a hold or just a blown block they can't do it and it's in most part because of the five guys up front that's i know that's very critical and i try not to I'm not naming individual guys. I mean, I don't think there's any question as a unit. They were bad. And the film study they're doing now, and will do for the next 13 days until Michigan, will reveal that to them. So Also had 12 penalties for
1: 134 yards. Uh, Kind of a messy game all around. Five turnovers, three for Indiana, two for Michigan State. Um, 16 total penalties, 12 of them by the Spartans. But the really messy stat that I'm seeing in here is Jack Tuttle with a downright... 2021 Roethlisberger stat line of 52
0: attempts for 188 yards. And, you know, I've actually made the time a few times this season to participate in game threads. I'm mostly Gold Video the only callers because when I'm in shouting game thread mode, I don't really want to deal with other fan bases that much. So what I see a lot over there, though, is a lot of stamping of feet over the amount of completions that they give up through the air on defense and the fact that they've given up a fair amount of conversions on 3rd and 4th down. But I'm still willing to, like, even though, again, you get used for so many years, even the last couple of years, really, D'Antonio's defenses were still really good. They played tight coverage, and sure, they got burned occasionally, but they still wouldn't give you free stuff cheap um, up front and you got used to that so that it feels like, oh man, we can't stop anybody's defense. This offense is going up and down the field. Sure they are. And then in this game, your defense forces them to kick four field goals and you end up winning by five because in a game where your offense couldn't carry theirs, their end of the bargain, your defense and even your special teams came up. I, Matt Covlin was a guy who, because of some very makeable misses earlier this season, I was fed up with. I'm like, there's gotta be another option on the roster. It turns out there really isn't. And in kind of tricky win conditions, he hit a couple pretty long field goals. I think like a 49-yarder and a 51 or 52-yarder, which is about the edge of his effective range, and hit both of them. And again, what ended up being a five-point game. So Tucker often harps on the importance of complementary football. Like The the pick six they got from Cal Halliday is about the... It was the only points they got in the first half, and for a while it looked like it was going to be the only touchdown they got. They ended up reaching into the playbook a little bit when the base stuff wasn't working. So I give them some credit there, um, doing what it needed to be done. I will say the refs had another really difficult game in this, but I almost feel like that's barely even worth mentioning because it's true in almost every game you watch, college or pro, there's just all these occasions where it's like, you know, between how... So the fact that they make all these mistakes necessitates more replays which causes there to be even more commercials. Fox is already terrible like this. This was like a 4-hour and 10-minute broadcast time on a game that, well, it's not, Indiana threw the ball a lot, but it's not like there were so many scoring plays, like there shouldn't have been, it, it should not have taken that this long. This was a
1: pretty Big Ten game. I mean, a lot of, a lot of it dominated by defensive stat lines. Micah McFadden was absolutely all over the place. Uh, yeah, he and very Jones. Very disruptive, 2.5 TFLs and a pass breakup. Yeah, he and Jones were great. Cam Jones had a, 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 a breakup of what would have been a really crazy touchdown as Peyton Thorne was rolling to his left, uh, being pursued oh, man, yeah. on, what, was it
0: a third down, I think? I think it was, yeah. And somehow he had an open receiver, but he wasn't
1: quite open enough.
0: Yeah, and so as throw, Thorne flips it down the sideline, Trey Mosley does get behind Jones, but Jones gets just enough vertical to bat it away with his fingertips, yeah. Because Maybe. for
1: as bad as Jack Tuttle was, Peyton Thorne actually had a lower uh, quarterback rating in this one.
0: He did, but honestly, the the one interception hit Trey Mosley in the collarbone and popped up in the air and was intercepted. The other one was definitely a force ball, and he missed a few. Like he missed a deep shot to Naylor that should have been intercepted. Another play he had Naylor wide open, and it looks. I mean, honestly, even at this point, a, a large percentage of the missed throws that Thorne has are aiming for Naylor, which makes me think maybe that's partly still on Speedy. But he also, I think there were probably four or five drops today, which when you're not throwing the ball that many times in a game like this, where again, much like the second half against Nebraska, Michigan State's offense could do nothing before halftime in this game.
1: So 35 total points, and uh, 20% of them came on pick six for yeah. Michigan State, and the other 20% came as part of the hunt to Thorn to hunt uh, exchange.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that again. So, some credit has to be given here that they they up a play. That man when Hunt threw that ball up, they had a trick play where a tight end ends up throwing a pass and a guy got in the backfield and forced him off his off his intended line enough that but when he let it go, I was like, well, that's getting that's getting picked and housed for sure. And then not only does it drop in past the two Indiana guys in the neighborhood, but the quarterback makes probably the best catch of the day. Um, for either team and gets a foot down and the refs still called him out. That play had to be reviewed. There's a, the side judge is right there, staring at Thorne's foot, a white cleat with green between it and the sideline. Nope, still
1: out. There were an awful lot I mean <laughs> Indiana had one that, that that I don't think anybody thought was uh, was a touchdown. It was called a touchdown on the field. Five ten minute review and I mean this game was just uh, just a chore to watch. Speaking of a chore, let's talk about one more thing here. Yeah, game management featuring Tom Allen. There's been a lot of suspect game management in the Big Ten this year so far.
0: I don't know why it is that I'm zeroing in on this issue so much. I think it really might be because the first game I watched, I was so excited. We were at Northwestern, and Tucker just handled the end of the first half so weird. I ended up kicking a 60-yard field goal attempt, like with wind. Like, of course he's not going to hit that. And so maybe it's just because with the timeouts, it tends to take so long that that that's like a big period of actual time. It just pay attention to it, but, well, so, yeah. Also, probably,
1: we hang out a lot, and I never shut up about it because we've lost two games like this.
0: That's true. Maybe it, yeah, maybe you have, maybe I caught it from you. But in any case, and late in the first half, uh, Tom Allen's got, the, the Indiana has the ball on offense. They have the ball at the MSU 47, so just on the scoring side of midfield. Fourth and four. It's pretty late in the second quarter, and probably like two and a half, three minutes or something like that left. Now keep in mind, to this point, Michigan State's offense has gotten about 30 total yards to the, in the game to that point. Allen has all three of his timeouts, fourth and four. Instead of just going for it or punting, um, they do the thing where you line up and try to draw your opponent offside. And it doesn't work, and they call a timeout. And then they do it again, and it doesn't work, and they call a timeout. And then they punt. And so there's no part of it that makes sense to me. Alright. There's like there's like it's like a compound fracture where there's all these breaks that don't make that you don't want to happen. You're not just going forward and forth and for very makeable distance. <clears throat> you're using a timeout to punt when you're in a spot on the field where five more yards of space to punt is not bad calling for you. A timeout to punt when you're losing. Calling two timeouts to punt when you're losing. Because, of course, then what happens, as anyone in that stadium would have told you, Michigan State goes three and out, and they punt the ball right back to Indiana, who's then able to get back into a long long now, field goal range, and they miss the field goal. It's crazy,
1: because not only are you Tom Allen, you're a defensive guy, but the, the, the defense has really put the clamps on in this game. So you've had, you know, Brett Bielmo did this, call, calling a timeout to punt while losing, late in the game. I mean, that's just that's just unforgivably ignorant of of your situation. Those timeouts are precious. When you call one, you better go for it. Because if you're going to call a timeout in that situation, then what you're saying is that you're not going to need it on defense. That's the only reason you call a timeout there yeah. is if you're not going to need it on defense because you're going to get the first down right here. Yeah. It's just it's just criminally,
0: I mean, Whatever, man. Some people just don't have it when it comes to... I mean... Tom Allen's a guy that I have a lot of respect for as a coach, and he is also very powerfully in the mold of Mark D'Antonio, Kirk Ferentz. They're not going to do anything that's an undue risk. They're not going to do anything that prejudices their defense.
1: Well, you talk about risk, though. That's entirely... That's entirely conventional coaching wisdom. It's not actually... yeah. It's not actually a a robust risk reward assessment from a statistical standpoint would not support that as being a risk averse move. Exactly, that's my point. That's what I'm saying is that, and I'm sure, that in his sober, you know, (laughs) film crunching mind, he knows that. But a lot of these people, I think he's among them. I think you can count a lot of Big Ten coaches among them. They get to the situation in the game and they just can't help but do the thing that you know throughout football history conventional coaching wisdom is that you got to do the most conservative thing or else people are going to you know call you call you stupid. Well, guess what? We're going to call you stupid.
0: <laughs> yeah, because we're at a point in the history of this game where we know better. Yep. Where we understand like the com- there's the, been enough data the computers have run the computers tell us stuff. And that's that actually punting is not always winning. So however,
1: punting is a discussion you can have by itself. Calling a timeout to punt while you are losing late in a game is just 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 horrible yeah. malpractice. Well,
0: and and look, this is still the first half. Indiana had many other opportunities to win this game. There's no question about yeah. that. Especially because late in the game. Late late in the Chad, half, I should say. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm talking about a different thing now. Late in the game. Chester Kimbrough comes on a fox blitz, strips and recovers a fumble. And then two plays later, Michigan State throws an interception right back to him. Like, I get, I get that I can't have it both ways because in this situation, D'Antonio would have plowed it into the line three times and punted and they would have had the ball back anyway. And against Miami, in a similar situation, Tucker goes for the kill shot and it lands and they break through, they win the game. And so I understand that, again, I can't have my cake and eat it, too. I can't want a coach who plays a little more aggressively and doesn't just go into a shell and then not deal with the consequences of it, which is, again, a badly underthrown ball that was intercepted. But
1: that's a lot easier to deal with than than calling a timeout to punt while while you're losing near the end of the half. All right. So anyway. Speaking of things that are not easy to deal with. Oh, boy. Minnesota 30, Nebraska 23. Yeah. And Minnesota led this one throughout, Mm -hmm. and essentially what happened was there were kind of two games that were played. I am not going to say a tale of two halves, because it just, it just, that phrase has nothing to do with that novel. Right. (laughs) Okay? But the halves did look very different, in that the first half basically just was dominated by Minnesota completely, and in the second half, Nebraska played as well as they possibly could have played while still not really chipping away um to give you an idea of what I mean, there was a sequence, I don't remember if it was third quarter or fourth quarter where um you know it felt like Nebraska had the ball this entire time and uh, my, my my wife was doing something with the dogs and she came back still couldn't believe that the score hadn't changed and I told her <laughs> that what had happened was Nebraska down five had gone for it on fourth and goal from the one, gotten stuffed uh, forced to punt, um, then gotten back to, you know, inside the red zone to fourth and four, elected to kick it, missed, of course.
0: Because <laughs> um, it was a field goal from inside of 30 yards. So, of course, Connor Colt missed it this year. And then, you got to take a couple, you got you to hold on for, like, take, like, three false starts and back him up to a range where he can hit it.
1: Well, the amazing thing about that was as soon as they sent him out, I've been tweeting from the Off-Tackle Empire account uh, a, a series of increasingly distorted versions of the picture of Scott Frost anxiously chewing on his finger there. And I I, tweet, I, I teed up another one saying, and it somehow remains a five-point game as Colt misses a field goal. I <laughs> teed you didn't, that up. You didn't hit
0: send, but... <laughs> I didn't hit send,
1: and then they went, the third quarter ended, and I was just like, okay, I mean, I might as well send it because I, I know how this is going to happen. So what happened after that was Minnesota got the ball, went and punted, and Nebraska took over at their own 11 and immediately gave up a safety on the the would-be go-ahead drive. Yeah. It's just, if you, I was, uh, I think I said this to you yesterday. If you have a situation where you've got, like, you know, inside of five minutes to go and you absolutely need to lose this game to get fired and you can pick any quarterback in the history of college football... I'm picking Adrian Martinez. Uh, and I say, get a... fired. Like, you need somebody that's not going to make it look like you're tanking, but that's going to just do the most crucial... like the, the most wrong possible need, thing yeah. in the most critical moment. 14, because he had
0: some throws this game that were unbelievable. And that, a, but that's the story of his career. And it's, it's yeah, if you need the guy who. Is going to make it look like, man, this really should be working much better than it is right now. Oh my God, what did he just do? We have to fire the coach. But yeah, Adrian Every Martinez is that single guy.
1: Single start has looked like his very first start. I don't remember what happened in his first start, but I'm saying this to say, like, wow, if he could only iron out these crucial mistakes, he sure has some potential. But he's a senior now. Yeah. You we know, we've, we've say the same exact things. It's yeah. just, it's it's almost become exhausting to say, but. You know, they've been doing this against much better teams, Yeah, playing more even games. And um, we're
0: we're going to say this about a few other teams in the Big Ten West over the next week or two, I think. Which is that, after after a very embarrassing early season... Remember that loss to Bowling Green? That was like three weeks ago. And it feels well, like it was three years Bowling ago. Bowling Green, at that point, had the worst offense in the country. Yeah, they've, stabilized, stabilized, they've stabilized a little bit since then, but Minnesota... In in a West that suddenly looks much wide more, much more wide open, and well, we'll get there, listeners. We'll get there. But they're on you know running back number three and Bryce Williams had the backbreaking touchdown to put the game away. They got Chris Ottman Bell back and their offense looks so much better when he's in there and they have a true deep threat. Which again I, I still don't really understand because their other receivers have some talent. I don't understand why they can't put together a, a functional passing game. Well, I do really, it's because Tanner Morgan has a noodle arm and if the throw had a
1: couple of just horrible interceptions. Back to back
0: play. plays that, that gave Nebraska basically defibrillated them. Like there was no reason this should have been close after the way after the way the, thing, I mean, the, way he, the first half went. Should not have been close. Look
1: at these stats. They're roughly even. Minnesota they, they ran for they, they got roughly the same number of yards total. Minnesota ran a little more. Nebraska passed a little more. They had the exact same penalty figure. Um, Minnesota ran the ball more times. Uh, Nebraska was a little more pass heavy. They yeah, weren't was, as efficient with as, the passing. As
0: you'd expect, because Minnesota's protecting a lead. With most the, of the difference
1: game. being yeah. that Minnesota turned it over twice and Nebraska turned it over zero times, and yet it was a thirty to twenty three game. With kind of it was about thirty to sixteen when kind of garbage time kicked in. I mean, basically this game felt... You know what this game felt like? This felt like the Illinois game for Nebraska.
0: It's like, how did you lose this game?
1: Well, not not just how did you lose this game, how did it never look like you were going to win? Yeah. Like, they were playing from behind. It finished with virtually the same score. They were playing from behind the whole way while kind of looking like they were a little bit better down to down. Yeah, and... um... But it every time
0: there was a really important situation that could turn the tide of the game, Nebraska fucked it up. Yeah, they came up short. And it, look, you, I don't think you can blame Scott Frost for the kicker missing basically an extra point field goal. Like, I, I don't think you can blame him. There comes a certain point when you have to recognize the situation that you have, though. Yeah,
1: Connor Culp has been so unreli- No, so reliably bad in these situations. Not to mention, you were down five points at the time. Yeah, and your offense seemed to be rolling. I kind of question the decision to not go for it there. Yeah, especially I to even huddle up. But
0: I suppose, and it, it does ultimately come back to the coach because he's the one who picks the players, and he's the one who picks the non-existent special teams coach. I um, mean, there you was
1: know, again, a, as people who are not generally sympathetic to Scott Frost, there just are some things where it's like God, like how is it that God hates you a lot more than we do? Like, did you see that <laughs> clip of him walking into the stadium getting
0: stopped by the security and just like, yeah.
1: I'm, the, I'm the head coach. Well, it is,
0: <laughs> I think you might have been the one who out, like, man, he could have been a much bigger tool about that, was, but he it wasn't, wasn't. It wasn't me, but he, so he, just, yeah. he almost looked like, sad, It's like,
1: Why doesn't anybody recognize me? I'm, <laughs>
0: I'm worried. I'm, I, I always wear this. in Nebraska. I wear the same polo, <laughs> yeah. And, of course, I, you know, I, I mean, made the comment that I'm sure what the security guard's thinking is, oh, yeah, you're a coach for about another two weeks there, bud. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: man. Um, Chris Ottman bell was a big difference maker for Minnesota in this yeah. one. Um, yeah. Like I said, see, for know. some reason, I had been unaware of the whole crab thing. Oh yeah, it was Pardon news that. to me too.
0: Somebody, Ben, um, one of our Minnesota And then I looked guys,
1: online and like everybody's using the crab emoji. It's like, wait, how, how is this the first I've <laughs> ever heard of Chris Altman Bell being crab? Well,
0: because I don't think he, he doesn't spell it C-R-I-S like Chris Carter. It's, a, it's the usual spelling of Chris, which yeah. does not lend itself to crab. Crab. Trab. Uh, crab. And so, of course, we immediately bombarded the Slack channel with all the crab people. Crab and people. That crab one, that one from people. South Park, and then also the episode of It's Always Sunny where Frank and Charlie go and fish for Delaware River river crabs, and he says, "We're crab people now." <laughs> that was the one that came to my mind first, yeah. and then the South Park thing right after it. So yeah, that's we're gonna have to. That's gonna be in our are kind of how we think about Minnesota now. Because there is a little bit of a South Park crab people mentality, cult of personality thing they're still doing in Minnesota. So that all that all kind of plays. That fits. I, I get it. I get it. I get it.
1: Y- you know, they, like, a, a lot of times you see things with, like, uh, I'm sure you've seen pictures of owners looking like their dogs, but they say that the more you're married to somebody, the more you start to look like them. Now, who's going to come in after Tanner Morgan And how much are they going to look like P.J. Fluff when (laughs) he graduates?
0: Yeah. Uh, You know, honestly, I bet before he got to Minnesota, Tanner Morgan probably had a full, lush head of long, blonde hair. and now He looked like Trevor Lawrence. (laughs) (laughs) And now he's basically just P.J. without the tie. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So, all right. We got a couple other just dreary games to get through here, so let's try to power through this. First, let's talk about Nebraska's remaining schedule. Oh, sure, yeah. That would put a bow on this nicely. Because they got 3-5. They played Week 0 when they lost, so they're 3-5, yes. They're 3-5, and five,
1: and they've got Purdue, Ohio State, at Wisconsin, and home against Iowa. And they got to get three wins to go to a bowl. We're not talking about competing
0: for big things. We're talking about a situation where you're going every with, you're one going... of their losses
1: is by one score.
0: Yeah, all five losses by one score. We're talking about where they need three out of those four games so their fans can complain about how expensive San Francisco is as they go to the Redbox Bowl.
1: Uh, sorry, sorry, that's not anywhere near, I know, near San Francisco. Well,
0: you would probably fly into San Francisco to get. There. Actually, I don't think that people did. I mean, it's that far away. I I don't know if you guys you fly to San Jose, you're still you're still paying Bay I can't or, remember exactly. You're bay bay was, area prices is my point. Yeah, it's um,
1: it's essentially something kind of like Auburn Hills, but for tech. Where it's just like, it's just a big industrial park. Yeah, Santa
0: Clara, right? Santa Clara, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh, I. Like, boy. It's just been Would it some serious
1: they, Sisyphus stuff for Scott Frost Well, and here. the thing
0: is, whether they beat Purdue next week or not, because I, like, I think they could, because you mean to tell me that Purdue isn't set up for a little bit of a letdown coming off the win they just got? Yeah, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll get to that, but... Yeah. You know, that, that's a situation that, where Purdue <laughs> Especially if they don't win. That Ohio that Ohio State game be had. That Ohio State game could be the last bullet in this coaching tenure.
1: Yeah. I mean, you of you course lose. we hit you with some more off tackle Empire ASMR there with some serious Sisyphus stuff from Scott Frost.
0: Just slow, play that down, you know, play that back. Slow it down to about a .75 speed. And so I'd be able really, to really get it if really I weren't
1: shouting it. at the mic in the middle of the table because somebody forgot
0: theirs and we're going back to the old school oh, two-sided setup. Yeah, well. we How many years did we make that work before we got sophisticated and I bought my own mic? So, anyway. But you just, didn't,
1: like, unbuy it or anything. Okay, anyway. Uh Yeah, the
0: final result here is whatever, but we need to discuss this fake punt. First, second, and foremost. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, Northwestern did win this game and did win it by two scores. So it's probably something that'll get lost in the annals of history pretty quickly. But maybe. And I feel like whenever something like this happens in this modern era of hyperbole, we've got to make the big impression, the over-the-top take. Everyone always says, oh, worst fake field goal ever, worst fake punt ever, worst onside ever, worst whatever. No, really. Like I don't know how, and I believe I don't remember if it was Evan Wildcat. I think it was Evan Wildcat who broke his arm. Maybe maybe it was Creighton, but somebody in our writer group said that look, with what this play. And so what the play basically was is it snaps to the punter who's in a normal punt formation, and then he just runs straight up the middle. And I think he had to get like six or eight yards or something. Like it wasn't a fourth and short or whatever. And he gets tackled for a loss and gets hurt. And there's one of two possibilities, which is that they just never actually practiced this. So they didn't know how dumb it looks. Or they did practice it, and their defense and their special their rather their punt coverage team was so woefully unprepared that it worked like a charm and they thought it was a great play. I'm not sure what's more damning. Yeah, I don't like I don't know what should be worse. I mean, because the
1: thing is, the only way that I would fight you on this being the worst college. College football fake punt of all time is because it wasn't run into a four three base defense that's like true. the Justin Fields. One. I was gonna
0: say that's true. Is that it, that, it wasn't?
1: That yeah. still remains my number one. That being said, what I would this say this one was. Ter- I mean, what this I would, made the, yeah. Do you remember the Greg Schiano fourth down fake against Michigan where we thought like how how can you possibly think <laughs> anyone yeah, would fall he, for yeah, that? I yeah, mean, yeah. that was a huge brain move compared to this. Yeah,
0: but not the only the, the counter argument I would have for you on the Justin Fields thing is. You're still putting the ball in the hands of Justin Fields there. Like maybe he will do something cool, even though what, like Georgia runs Georgia... through the entire base four three defense <laughs> of Alabama, right? But and you know I'm not giving that amount of credit to Kirby Smart because they didn't play Justin Fields. They didn't know. They clearly didn't understand what he was capable of. So anyway, we spent a lot of time on that, but yeah, it that was not something we were going to let slide, even though Northwestern won this game. I sure as hell wish that I could have put down
1: some money on will there be a failed fake punt in Northwestern Rutgers? Because <laughs> I would have absolutely hammered it at <laughs> basically were, me any odds. Yeah, you would have... Considering,
0: considering Greg Sciano's yeah, you, you, you fourth down You would have game stonked that and bought yourself a vacation home. But, you know, in the cold light of a normal off season and kind of the receding COVID weirdness, like not being as big of a factor in how teams prepare... I think the size of the exact task that Shiano has here is becoming more apparent, right? They got Bo Melton back today, and that was very helpful. He had a good, very good day from a statistical standpoint, and they still, despite getting back a capable number one receiver, had nothing going on on offense because they have so they had such... two
1: hundred twenty two yards of offense, yeah, which is terrible. Yeah, Bo Melton had a hundred one of those. Yeah. And they had 63 yards it, rushing on 34 attempts. They
0: went 1.9. Such a deficiency of talent. And it's not, you know, in the past in isolated moments, Isaiah Pacheco has looked like a workforce back, but he's done nothing for them this year because this offensive line gets very little push. The past game, even with a little bit of a dual threat in Noah Vettel, who, again, I, I think from a coaching perspective, they're getting the most out of what they've got, but I they don't like have Pacheco enough. Pacheco as a
1: little... As, I always thought his skill set was better used as kind of a Raheem Blackshear stunt double, where it's kind of a guy that you want to get in space. I've never
0: thought of him that way. He, to me, his running style, this is not a good comparison because he's nowhere near this talented, but I think of him as like a Brandon Jacobs. Like, he's a phone booth guy. I'm not afraid of him in space at all. Um, They've always had, yeah, whether it was Blackshear, Aaron Young, they've always had like a second receiver type back who they use alongside him instead of him. I've never thought of Pacheco in those terms, but they're they're not getting great use out of him. But it's also understandable because this line really doesn't allow it. But man, you know, going into last year, Shiano hit the portal hard, brought in a whole bunch of talent, and all worked. It felt like he needed to do that again, like hit yeah. that hit that transfer button a couple more times because they were, they're still short quite a few guys.
1: Because the thing is, and you hear me talk about this all the time with, with what Illinois situation is right now. You got to get wins. The way that college football is right now, yeah, you got to get wins, or people are going to stop listening to you.
0: Well, Shiano's uh, got three wins. He he does. And the other thing to keep in mind is the early signing day period. I think is the first week in December this year. It's coming up quick, and he's got a really good, especially for Rutgers yeah. class coming in now. It's not good enough to close the gap between him and the other teams in the East, but to improve relative to teams like Northwestern, it will be. And I wonder
1: who's who, what permanent crossover they have, because if it's anything like the deal that we got, they're going to have like Iowa.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, they're ch- that changes what next year or the oh, year oh. after?
1: Next year, yeah. This is the last Dylan Utgers. that we, we really both of us need to petition the Big Ten. To yeah, I want, I want. A, I want
0: to. I want to pull Well, I, I don't. I guess I'll sign on to that. I guess what I'm saying is that if you also sign mine, which is Michigan State needs to play Northwestern in August every year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, but just I mean, you can see Northwestern's defense
1: obviously looking a little better, not just um, not just from the standpoint of they're playing a little weaker opponent than they were yeah. playing earlier, but
0: they're cleaning some stuff up. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They. You also have to give them some credit for. You know, we were talking about them as maybe being Illinois bad. Um, They're clearly rebounding a little bit. They beat a Rutgers team that's not trending in the right direction uh, at this point, but not not trending in the right direction for this season. Yeah. Trending in the right direction overall. Right. For this season, it's not. It's it's looking like maybe we we were a little higher on them than we should have been.
0: Well, I think we did a pretty good job of qualifying it because again, like. All the praise that we get is like, yeah, you know, is this not the most impressive three-win campaign you've yes. ever seen? Always mentioning it's, 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 the three-win part was still there. Yeah, it's it's Dennis Green in the <laughs> early 80s. Right, right. It, you know, relative to historical expectations, I think they're doing fine. So yeah, for Northwestern here, there are some encouraging signs that they're getting back on track a little bit. Like, this offense is still not going to scare many people. But if you play this kind of game, given what the Big Ten West has mostly looked like this year, they can find their way to a bowl. They won the turnover battle 2-0, did not allow any sacks, so the offensive line played considerably better. And again, Rutgers, not a not a tremendous front, but Julius Turner, Ola Kunle Farakase, they have some guys who can be disruptive. And Northwestern only gave up one play of longer than 20 yards. Again, easy to do with this opponent, but consider some of the other offenses they're gonna see in this division. Yeah. So, I mean, who do you think who do you think ends
1: up shaking out as a Northwestern starter? Because I think Ryan Holinsky... Yeah, uh, yeah, seems to have
0: kind of settled in as a guy that they're comfortable with. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I don't. They didn't bench Hunter Johnson because he was hurt. They benched him because he was bad. Yeah, um, and then Andrew Marty came in and didn't get through a whole game before he got hurt. Yeah, unfortunate because it, it wasted an entire season of Rick and Morty impressions for us, <laughs> as well as obviously for him because he, uh, by all reports, is a guy the team very much loves. But yeah, Helinski has been good enough. I mean. It, even in the games where the stat lines have not been impressive, like, you look at some of the at the passing combinations they call and how little they throw the ball, it's kind of like, well, what do you want the guy to do with what you're asking him, you know? So, yeah, I think they'd probably stick with Helinski. He's He's been good enough, and he's one of a couple games. Maybe that for a game, you know, just this was a fairly big 10 game, that
1: both teams had 17 third downs, and both teams converted exactly five of them. So there were a total of, of 10 for 34 on third down... Perfectly symmetrical. So punching in, punching out. <laughs> so yeah, in the stock market game, there, I bought Northwestern at a low, and uh, I think I'm going to continue to maybe, maybe if they don't go up too much, might add to my position.
0: Well, now you've got me curious, and I guess well, we see. I got I got some Northwestern for forty two Delaney bucks. That's not bad. Um, I don't know if you're necessarily going to want to buy ahead of a road trip to Michigan, but yeah. that's you're, well, I mean, I'm gonna you can collect cer- my di- certainly I'm gonna, certainly hold. I'm going to collect
1: my dividends. Actually, I don't I don't think I bought Northwestern at their low, but I'm certainly comfortable holding them through sure um, until until we get to November.
0: And you may I mean, look. I think you go ahead. It, can, can you can you set an option for after Michigan? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, all right. So last order before we get into the big corny main course here. Wisconsin going in the out-of-conference quickly here in midseason, hosting the troops and just disrespecting them all night, as is typical of the unpatriotic communist Badgers. Army 14, Wisconsin 20. All right, so important thing for this game beyond getting the win was, uh, do we see signs of life in the Wisconsin passing game? Okay, let's take a Deep dive into the numbers. What have we got? I hope we got 8 for 15, twelve yards, 0 touchdowns, 0 picks. So that's a big no. And four of those completions were the tight end, Jake Ferguson. We already know he's a decent security blanket. They got nothing going on with this wide receiver group. And that's still the case. And you know what? Honestly, I can't help but wonder if maybe at this point they're just like, yeah, that just, that's just what it's going to be. And so instead what they've done is give their offensive... Output or their bandwidth rather to Braylon Allen in a timeshare with Malusi, and that seems to be rounding the run game into better shape. And they're gonna hope that four completions to Jake Ferguson a game is enough. Yeah, uh, you know it's it, it's a game against Army, so it's all kinds of weirdness. Yeah, assume, yeah. It was it was always going to be relatively low possession. You were gonna figure that the score is not likely to get too far out of hand. But this is still... This is not the game plan, to me, of a coaching staff that thinks they're going to contend for the division this year. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Um, as far as this game is concerned, though, like, just the game, they were one... Um, you know, the way that Army kind of came on in the fourth quarter, especially, they were one fumble away. I mean, there was one very crucial point of this game it was 13-7, to and... Uh, Army quarterback Jabari Laws was sacked by uh, Leo Chanel. Now, of course, Army is a great opportunity for any opposing linebacker to pad their stats. Oh, yeah. So I, th- I think they, had. I think all their starters had more than 10 tackles. I think he had, he had 17 in this one. Um, <laughs> but, of course, the big play was stop! You violated the laws! <laughs> so, got that, got that, got two and a half TFLs, and then. Uh, Keanu Benton recovered the fumble, that was probably a pretty important play because Wisconsin yeah, it was went a, it and was scored a, on it. Yeah, and it was a one-possession game. So. Yeah. A one-possession game with Army.
0: So, yeah, the, this game plan where you, you throw the ball 16 times against an opponent you really should be able to beat pretty easily. Again, I understand that your first concern when you're 2-3 and three is winning the game. But it's also the maneuver of a staff that is aiming for bowl eligibility and not much more because this team's ceiling right now is the passing game. They're bumping their head against it every time they play a good opponent. And unless less than until Graham Mertz and, look, this year these receivers are it. They don't have anybody they haven't tried who's worth putting on the field.
1: They had a little more production in the run, in the rushing game from Braylon Allen than they've been getting from uh, Malusi and Berger in the beginning of the year.
0: Well, they I mean they gave Malusi plenty of carries too. That's why I mentioned the thing. They've basically found a what seems like the right combination in the backfield. So it's true that yes, the the run game is better now, and they've kind of worked out how it's going to work. I still man, talk about Jalen Berger going from the obvious heir apparent to on the outs. I mean, have fun at Rutgers, I guess, but. Yeah, it's just.
1: I don't really know what more you can make from a game against
0: Army. I mean, I guess. I mean, if stop you Stop playing Army. No, you, yeah, playing a Service Academy it. mid-season... Get some help. Get some help. Um, I remember seeing a comment that Keanu Benton was hurt. I believe he was then able to return. If you were able to get out of a game with a Service Academy without any long term injuries to any of your defensive linemen, then you have succeeded. So, you get the win, you're back in position for a bowl game again. (laughs) This division certainly looks wide open, and now it's time to cut to why the division looks wide open. Purdue 24! Iowa 7. Hey man, are we going to award this the dick trip of the week? Because, gotta be. We, oh yeah, I mean, we haven't, we've not consistently been giving that out, (coughs) but yeah, I I I think this merits it. You're at home. You're coming off an emotional win against Penn State. Good. Emotional.
1: <laughs> emotional usually Im- in- implies that the emotions were positive.
0: Yeah, I'm not Never saying Never seen no, a fan base more that.
1: angry about beating number four at home.
0: Yeah, well, because one of their guys might have pretended to be hurt. I mean, one of them's out for the season after that, you know. But um. Boy, he really is committed to the <laughs> he's, Boy, he's selling it. I just can't believe the extent he's going to to sell this fake injury to slow down the high-octane Iowa offense. So anyway, how do you go from number two in the country, much Ballyhood defense, to losing at home to an unranked Purdue team? Although, by the way, unranked no more, Purdue Boilermakers in the top twenty five, first time since two thousand seven. Thump, what were you doing in two thousand seven? Oh man. I was uh doing something I've not really done very much of since. I was
1: enjoying the living hell out of Illinois football. <laughs> and also, uh you know, I was I was watching him crank that Soldier Boy and Superman that hoe.
0: Oh, <sighs> it certainly
1: does take you back, doesn't it? Um, Heard that song on the radio. And I just what well, you know, going to get more drinks at parties. That was that's what I did when that song came on. <laughs> uh, I get that it's funny, but it always sucked. Yeah.
0: Um, well, sorry. Right. If you if you really want the story of why this game went the way it did, I can tell you in how the broadcast. Approach. Because at the beginning of the game, they're always looking for a standout player on each team's offense to be like, all right, here's the guy you want to look at, pay attention to. And with Iowa, it's Tyler Linderbaum. And look, he's a really good player. He's going to be a first-round draft pick, probably going to play in the NFL for 10, 12 years, be a Pro Bowler, all that stuff. He's very good. It is very uncommon for that feature on a broadcast to deal with a guy who only touches the ball right at the beginning of the play and then never again. <laughs> you yeah, know
1: what I mean? Because basically what they were saying throughout the second half was... And Iowa's stuff for no gain here, but boy was it not his
0: fault! Well, and honestly, they were right about that, because yeah. the biggest problems in Iowa's offensive scheme, other than the whole design of the scheme, was that they had no way to deal with George Carlaftis, who dynamited the right side of, offen- of the offensive line for Iowa all night. They didn't line him up over Winderbaum, because why would you do that? But, um, this is the downside to Iowa football, right? Which is that... When you need to be aggressive or adjust to what your opponent's hold, doing. Hold, hold on there, I'm just, If
1: I could... Did you did you just suggest there was what? a downside to Iowa football? Um, I was gonna... I'll tell you what. I, I do not take kindly to this kind of an accusation, okay? We're only talking about this well, because know. you had somebody come in I have thought some I was, guy that's been some guy that's been at Notre Dame. I was gonna finish a thought. And some guy like that's it. been at Notre Dame come in here and and do all of this passing and rotate three quarterbacks into a game. Now this is a Big Ten, okay? This isn't communist China, all right? This isn't the Soviet Union where
0: everybody gets a chance. You know, is that like what you're no, 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 no? This
1: is this is Ricky Stanzi's America, okay? This is a country that I was born and raised and served an unspecified amount of time for.
0: Um,
1: what were we talking about?
0: We brought up Ricky Ricky Stanzi, he's gone. Yeah,
1: love it or leave it is what I'm saying. Okay? So if 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 if, if given the ball to your fullback Fifteen times a game isn't good enough for you, Purdue. And there's the the SEC's right there, okay, right across your doorstep. Uh, what were what were we talking about? We're talking about Iowa won this game on the merits of American football as we know it in the Big Ten Conference. It was Purdue's decision to to pervert. The, the you know to just to pervert the nature of the game that we know and love that by, enabled them by throwing the ball down downfield. Didn't like that. That's not how you do it. That's not. We used to go man up. You put a hat on a hat. We didn't even have the hats back then, but you do you know
0: what I'm talking about. Yeah, you just put rocks on your head and bash them into each other. It's true. Purdue barely ran any outside zone in this game. I don't know how you do that and call it a fundamentally sound game plan. And so the good news really is that between however much time Kirk Ferentz has left and then Brian's inevitable tenure of at least equal length, um, Iowa fans only have about 30 more years of this offense to look forward to. Why are you
1: denigrating America's small business owners like Kirk Ferentz? Just because he chooses to keep his operation in the family Wouldn't you do the same for your small business? You're denigrating the lifeblood of the heartland of
0: America, and I will not stand for it. Yeah, I mean, consecutive quarterback sneaks in the red zone when you have Tyler Goodson to hand the ball to and Sam LaPorta you could throw it to, arguably is a fireable offense, but there's no such thing in this program. You know, at some point, Iowa should really consider covering David Bell. Right. So <laughs> let's let's go right to that, actually. So David Bell's a junior, which means he's only played three games against Iowa, a division opponent to this point in his career, but probably going to be it because obviously he's going to be an NFL player if he wants to go, and he should go get paid. His career numbers in three games against Iowa are as follows. <clears throat> 37 receptions, 558 yards, and five touchdowns, and we give Phil Parker a lot of credit for his defensive scheme when it works. But when it doesn't work, it really doesn't work, and they don't do anything differently to try to account for it not working. Jeff Broms now gone four and one against Iowa in his time at Purdue. Without that, if he's even two and three against them, like you know, as he would be against a typical other good team, he's probably coaching for his job this season. These Iowa wins plus that Ohio State game really are his resume there.
1: So, basically, I think that Ohio State against Jeff Brom is the same as Jeff Brom against Iowa. Huh. It's the same record that Lovey Smith had against Rutgers. 4-1,
0: <laughs> and one. yeah. Uh, boy, and it's... It's not like this was just a matter of, oh, well, there's a particular weakness in the scheme to David Bell. No, it's that, I like, the turnovers were never going to last forever for Iowa, and you had a great game from Aiden. You mentioned they played three quarterbacks, yes, and they brought in Plummer and Burton for situations, but really, this game was about Aiden O'Connell absolutely mincemeating the Iowa defense, and they couldn't do anything about it because they didn't have defensive backs who could cover Bell, or Purdue had a couple other receivers get loose for some plays, and... Their pass rush wasn't able to get home against Purdue's kind of meh offensive line. The game plan
1: was absolutely phenomenal for, for Purdue. The play calling was great. They kept getting guys um, with just enough speed to beat their guys to the sticks on the edge. Yeah. Uh, it You know, they were getting the first downs by just um, putting the ball in those situations, getting them to guys just fast enough to, to, to beat their guy to the edge. Um, Purdue was great on third down in this game. Yes, they were. They and. It's not just that they executed well. They also they they called really good plays. I mean, everything was... It it, it really
0: was a treat to watch. Um, they talked about uh, a couple occasions. And that's the other thing I'll say here is, As much as most of the time I feel the commentary is a detraction from the game, I did think Passion Dvorak did a really good job calling this one. And one thing <laughs> they point out is Purdue, in their bye basically went over all their own game film <laughs> to yeah. look at what was working and what wasn't. And to spend that kind of attention mid-season to analyze your own faults, I think is kind of a checking your ego at the door thing that most coaches are not going to do. Uh, they're just going to assume, look, the stuff that we have works. We just have to do it until it's fixed.
1: So basically what they did was, would what what you have a situation where it's like, all right, I can divert, I, I got... Engine power, I got shields, lasers, and mobility <laughs> here, okay? So I can divert all engine power. So I, I, I'm in a situation where my shields are low. Divert engine power to shields. But also, my, you know, <clears throat> I'm in an offensive situation. Okay, so what's worked for us so far? David Bell. Divert all engine power to David Bell. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened. Now, you talked about turnover luck gonna run out. But that actually didn't happen this game. Well, right. I mean, what I mean by turnover because walk Phil is Parker like, schemed one hell of a turnover down there at his own goal line. I don't want to talk about that
0: play because, okay, so because we're gonna talk about the touchback rule. We're get well that generally, but we're also gonna get back into the refs reminding all of us who who we're all here to see.
1: Well, you know, it, it, it's funny because I yeah, don't, the touchback rule sucks, but I also remember like. Yeah, more than 10 years ago, uh, I think was the first time I really realized that there was a problem with people just kind of like, like reaching the very end of the ball out and basically just kind of throwing the
0: ball into the end zone for a touchdown. Well, if you let go of it before you break the plane, then yeah, that's different. But I don't know how you can look at that (laughs) replay and conclude to the appropriate standard of evidence that that's actually what happened. Because to me, it's way too close to call on the field, which was touchdown. (laughs) Yeah. But
1: anyway. But that's the kind of thing that Iowa got that turnover. Yeah. Okay. And then still did nothing with it.
0: Well, right. Because, oh, it's a touchback and they don't. And so their defense is not handing the ball their offense in field goal range already. But so it's another
1: week on the Off Talk Alum podcast. And another week that we're going to say, what hell of a job of the Purdue defense.
0: Yeah. and And not sarcastically. Which, yeah. again, like, I should. It's pretty clear by this point that we both. Being fans of his play style, of his offensive play style, and the way he well, designs. Well, because
1: if you've got to be middling to bad, I'm not saying that they are, but I'm saying like, <clears <clears I mean, look, their record is still pretty bad. My team peaks at middling, right? I'd much rather play like Jeff Brown's teams than name your Illinois coach. Like Lovey Smith for sure, right? Yeah. I mean, and so well, Lovey Smith, poor offense, poor defense, great special teams, turnover luck. All right, but I'm saying, like, I'd rather, like, like, like Chris Ash, who had a pretty decent secondary, but who cares? Nobody's ever going to throw the ball.
0: (laughs) Yeah, if you can run for six yards a carry, why does it matter how good your secondary is? (laughs) Right,
1: well, for for Illinois, it's it's, it's Mike White. I mean, offense puts butts in the seats, right? Whatever. Uh, Defense may win games, but offense puts butts in the seats. And what do I generally care about? I generally care about there being a lot of fans at the games that I go
0: to. Because we're not going to win that many. <laughs> sure. So, I'll a long way of saying it's still up in the air whether Braum works out long term, but... Which Indiana team do you think we dick ride more? Uh, well, I mean, this year. Well, for sure this year, but <laughs> in general, I don't know. What to say...
1: Source for Big Ten Talk It's of Tackle Empire